so I was beginning to think about, you know, I don't really get too caught up in that. We need to preach a sermon that's about leaving and then going into the new year. And so, but it is a little bit of this. It's a little bit of like, hey, you know, maybe we did a little bit of this and next year we're not going to do it. And um, I started to think about like excuses. A lot of times Christians don't walk in all that God has for them and they don't walk in the fullness of all that he's putting together. Not so much because they couldn't get over an obstacle or they couldn't get around what was in their way. It's mostly because they just laid a whole trail of excuses. Are you with me? Because we've got all these promises of, you know, God's made you more than a conqueror. He'll never leave you or forsake you. He's got all of these promises for your life. And so you're set out to do what God's called you to do. He's positioned you to walk in victory. He's positioned you to do all these things. And it's not really the obstacles that have popped up that have taken you out from all of that. It's the fact that when the obstacles popped up, we started laying excuses everywhere. Amen. And so I started to look at scripture about, okay, you know, who's, who's the excuse? And I found uh, Moses here really gives us this pattern of this excuse-filled life uh, of, of, you know what, I made this excuse, I made this excuse. And again, I just want us to know, even the Holy Spirit, when God says, hey, uh, I'm going to heaven, I'm going to send, he, says, he actually says this, it's going to be better that I go to heaven and send you the Holy Spirit, your helper, your advocate, somebody to be with you. Why? Because it makes you unstoppable. It's like we preached about the last couple of weeks. God with us. We can't fail at this thing. God's with us. Amen. But we see here in the book of Exodus, just write this down. There's a lot to read, but maybe you can study it this week. The books of, book of Exodus chapter three, verse eight. This is the story of the burning bush. So Moses, he's in the desert. He's kind of feeling like a loser. He had a couple failures in his life. And so he's walking around and the scripture says that a bush starts on fire. And that's not actually odd. Uh, in the desert for there to be some like wildfire type things happening. But what caught his attention is that it was a continual fire. It didn't consume the bush. It was an ever burning. Does that make sense? And so he's now kind of like paid attention to this thing. And so we pick up here in the story where God is then speaking from the bush to Moses. And it says this, it says, I have come down to rescue them. Speaking of Moses people, I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land into the land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 9. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, to God. I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. So check this out. It would be like us right now praying for America. Oh, God, you see the sin. You see how chaotic the world. You see all these things. And we're praying and we're praying for God to come heal our land and restore our people. We've got all this stuff going on, okay? It would be like heaven then showing up in your life and being, I see it. And we'd be like, yes. Are you with me? And, and, and God comes out and says, I see it. I see the oppression. I see what's happening. I see all these things. And we'd be going, yes, here we go. God's, God's going to make it right. He's going to bring breakthrough. He's going to do this. And so Moses is going, yeah, sick him, God. You're answering from heaven. Verse 10, come now, therefore, God's saying to Moses, I will send you. Everybody say you to Pharaoh that you say it again. You may bring my people, the children of Israel out of Egypt. Isn't it interesting? God always chooses to use people to accomplish his will on earth. We can pray. We believe in prayer. We can fast. We believe in fasting. We're going to start a fast next uh, week. We believe in all of those kinds of things, but you can read all the scripture you want. You can sing all the worship you want. You can do all those kinds of things, but God is always going to look down on those and choose to use you to accomplish his purpose. The answer from heaven is never going to be, here I come, and he's going to do. 
Now, we understand the rapture and God's going to do his end times work and there will be a time where he sets things in order. But right now, in this time and space that we live in, God is choosing to use you. And so the answer to our community, the answer to this hurt is God is looking down saying, hey, I heard the cries and I'm choosing to use you. He's not going to send the pastor. He's not going to send the elders. He's not going to send your parents, the boss. He's not going to send the band. God is going to send us to accomplish his work. And in verse chapter 11, uh, Moses says to God, who am I that I should go? His excuse back is like, why are you choosing me? Who am I? You got it wrong. I can't do this. Who am I? I'm not good enough. I'm not a... You can give excuses to a lot of people. Here's what I want us to think about this year. You can give excuses to a lot of people. I could make some excuses to Scott, and I could make excuses to all these different people. I can, you can make excuses to people. You can make excuses to the boss about things and your spouse and to your kids, and you can even make excuses to the pastor, and you can make all these excuses. But do you know you can't give excuses to God? Our God knows all, sees all, hears all. The scripture says he even knows the inside of your heart, your heart intentions. So you can make excuses, but you can't make excuses to God. God, it can't be me. You can't use me because I got the, he's God. He knows, he sees, amen. I've said it this way before. I can't remember Francis Chan or whoever says it, but it comes down to this. He's either Lord of all or not Lord at all. And the problem is Christians use God as a consultant instead of a Lord of all. We go to God and we say, hey, can you help me with this? What do you think about this? Why don't you be this? And when it comes time to be totally surrendered to Lord of all, we flake out. It comes to the seasons where we're literally, God, here, I'm Lord of all. I'm completely surrendered to you. You're Lord of all. And then when it comes time to be Lord of all, say, no, I can handle it better over here. Let me do it my way. And we just consult with God instead of letting him be Lord of all, King of Kings. So I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. Is he Lord of all in our finances? Are we wholly letting him be Lord of all in finances? Are we letting him be Lord of all in our calendars? Are we letting him be Lord of all in our thinking patterns? Are you with me? He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He's not a, a thing that you can use and put back and use and put back and then call. He's got to be Lord of all. Amen. Proverbs 21.2 says, A person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. The Lord, not only, you can't make excuses to God because he knows and sees and understands all, but at the same time, he's evaluating our heart and things. That's why you can't come to church and be completely disengaged and say, look at me, I go to church, I'm faithful, I'm a believer. No, you got to be engaged because God looks at our heart. I don't even know why we would come in and just play the game. What a waste of time. Come in and sit through a sermon and, and think about other things and tune, or come in and we worship and you're thinking about other things, you're tuning out. The Lord weighs our heart. It's all about our heart. Are you with me? We can't make excuses to, to God. He knows and sees all. Amen. So Moses tries the excuses. And we think about Moses as this great Bible man, right? We think, oh, Moses, he probably saw the burning bush and said, whatever your will is, Lord, unto me. But he says, no, no, pick anybody else. I'm not good enough. Amen. And so what I love about this is uh, it was like this extreme thing that got his attention. This burning bush makes him wake up and go, whoa, check this thing out. We need those moments in our life too, where God's supernatural shows up and we go, wow, look at this. This is unbelievable. Amen. So he goes back and says, who am I that I should go? His first question is this, who am I? I'm a nobody. My first excuse is, why are you using me, God? I'm a nobody. Who am I? I'm a nobody. God only uses special people, smart people, 
talented people, people with a good background. You're, you're messing this up, God. My excuse is that I'm not good enough to be used by you, and so let me out of this. And what I love about God here is he doesn't even argue. It's like God's response. He doesn't even argue. In verse 12, he says this, I will certainly be with you. <laughs> yeah, you're not good enough. You're not talented enough. You don't have a good enough background. His response is, I will certainly be with you. And he says the same thing to us. Yeah, we don't have it all put together. Yeah, we're not all perfect. We don't have it all in a row. But guess what? We have God, Emmanuel, who's with us. It's the promise we just talked about last week. We have a God who's with us, moving, operating on our behalf. So in your life, when you look at your bank account and you go, how are we ever going to fix this? He is certainly with you. When you look at your family and your kids are going crazy, you don't know how you're ever going to make it and how are you ever going to raise He is certainly with you. When we look at... Uh, this marriage, how is it ever going to be fixed? How is it ever going to be this? How are we ever? He's certainly with you. And so this excuse of like, God, I should just bow out. I should. Do... No, he's with you. I thought about this. God is not looking for extraordinary people. God is looking for a people who will trust an extraordinary God. It's not your job to be perfect and have it all put together. God's the extraordinary one. We just are the vessels that he uses. Verse, verse 13 then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say? So his question or his excuse back here is, I don't know what to say. You can't pick me because I just I, I wouldn't know what to say. And in verse 14, God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God always says, you go and I'll show you. You go in faith, you step out, believe in me, and I'll show you and give you what you need. No one showed Peter how to walk on water, right? Here's the problem. We make this excuse, I don't know what to say. I don't know what I would do. I don't know what I would do this. The reason that's a problem in church, the reason that points a lot of things out to us is this. It means this, salvation for others and helping others and reaching others, salvation, I'm talking about going after the one, hasn't become a crisis yet for Christians. Here's how I can prove that. If your kid, you're hanging out in your house and your kid's about to fall down the stairs, right? You see, oh my gosh, they're going around. It's about to, you jump up and you do whatever it takes to grab, to reach. You don't do this. You don't see it about to happen and go, well, I'm just waiting on the Lord to show me. I'm waiting on the Lord to just reveal to me and tell me how to do. I got to have the right words. No, it's a crisis. It's an epidemic. We need to run at it at all costs. You get in a car crash and the car's flipped over and it's burning and your kid's inside. You don't get out and go, waiting on the Lord. No, it's a crisis. There should be urgency. You're not going, when I get up there, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? You're breaking windows. You're ripping doors. You're doing whatever it takes at all costs to get the one. And the reason that we can tell that there's not a sense of urgency for salvation in the church is because we're so waiting and God, I'm not ready and I don't have the words and I don't have the thing. Jesus gathered up a whole bunch of people that weren't ready and said, come with me while I and we'll figure this thing out. He's saying the same thing to you. Hey, just start journeying with me. Come with me while, and everything else will fall into place. So I said, what should I say? What would I say? He says, I am. Tell him I am. Are you with me? Another thing he says back, uh, Exodus 4, we've now jumped into a new chapter, but it's the same story. But Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. 
So he's asking the question probably a lot of us ask when we try to reach our community or make a difference. What if they don't believe? And in verse 2, so the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? He said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. He cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Verse 4, then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand, take it by the tail. And as he reached out his hand, he caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. What I love about this is he's showing Moses this. It's not your job to do the supernatural. It's God's job. But what if they don't believe? What if it doesn't? You just have to be the one to, to do the act. God does the supernatural. Am I making sense? I love this. God said, it's not your job to make anyone believe. Look what, I, look what I can do is what God is saying. He's like, hey, you go be a willing vessel. You go walk in an act of obedience. Look what I can do here. Are you with me? I love the picture, actually, of this. The Jewish mindset, anytime something would happen, they would look at it like, what does this mean? And so for them, they're going back to the garden. Remember the snake in the garden where everything fell apart? And so they see this thing turns to a snake, and then we see it turn back into what it's called to be. In their mind, they're going, wow, what once was meant for evil, God can turn to good. So what would I tell them? How would I make them believe? Well, it's when, the, it's when God uses what was meant for evil and turns it for good. How is America ever going to catch on? How is the world ever going to catch on to the goodness of God? It's when they see what was meant for evil, God turned to good. It's when they see the miraculous, the signs and wonders, the power of God, take something that was once this and turn it to this. What an awesome picture that was being displayed here. Well, what am I going to say? How am I going to make them believe? How am I ever going to convince them? That's not your job. The job is for God to do the miraculous through us, and they'll believe. Amen. Amen. I thought about this. The tail. You know, you're thinking about Moses. You would think Moses, mighty man of God. Moses, he would go take the snake by the fangs. He would grab it by the head, and he would... No, God was like, hey, you take the tail. You take the tail. Why? Because God's like this. All you're called to do is handle the little things, and I'll handle the big things. God's calling us to just be faithful in the little, and he'll handle the rest. Are you with me? We get all complicated. We look at the situation. We're like, I got to get the head, and I'm going to have to watch out for the fangs, and I'm going to have to, and I can't go because I don't know I'm going to handle the head. And God's like, no, I'm talking about the tail. Just get out there and start doing the tail. Well, I want to be moved. I want, to use, I want God to use me. I want to do the miraculous. I want to Awesome. Sign up to be a greeter. Sign up to serve in kids. Are you with me? I'm not calling any of those things little. I'm talking about just come participate in the body. Oh, I want to be there. Okay, get in and be faithful and start serving in the little things because God promises that that's what opens the big things. Amen. I'll close with this thought. Verse 13, he says this. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of anyone else you may send. So then I actually even left out a few more of excuses. At one point, he's saying, I don't have right speech and I don't do this. And he's got all of these excuses. I just picked out a few. But he gets down to the bottom of it. And he finally says back to God after this whole thing. He says, send anybody else. Send anybody else, which is interesting because it was after he just saw a miracle. The snake turned back into the thing. You know, we do the same thing. We see miracles happen, and then a year later, we act like God never moves. We see God provide for us, and then a year later, we're, we can't figure out how God's ever going to... Are you with me? So he says, send, send anybody other than me. Anybody other than me, in verse 14, says, So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. It's one of the few times in Scripture you see where God gets mad. What was he mad about? He was mad about people being unwilling to be used by him. Now, we sit here and we say, oh, I would never tell God, choose somebody else. 
That would be ridiculous if God showed up in my life and I told him, nah, pick somebody else. None of us would ever do that, except for we do, because we fill our calendar so full that when God shows up and wants to use us, we look at our calendar and we go, ah, you're going to have to use somebody else. I'm busy. See, I got some hunting and I got kids soccer and I got, are you with me? And we look at our calendar, looks back at God and says, or God shows up and wants to use you in an act of generosity. And you look at your bank account and you go, well, you're going to have to choose somebody else, God, because, you know, the cars and the clothes and the, you're going to have to pick somebody else. Are you with me? It's interesting how we can look at Moses and go, how could you ever say no to God? But we live our margins in a way that we say no to God. Amen. This is one of the few times that God was mad because God chooses to bless you so he can use you. You look at the, 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 the manna that came from heaven, supernatural provision for the children and they're eating it and they're supernatural. But the minute they started holding it for themselves, the minute they said, oh, this provision we're not gonna use, we're gonna hold, what happened to it? It started to turn to maggots. Why? Because every time God gives, it's to use you to bless others. So he's mad saying, I can't believe I, I from heaven am speaking down to you saying, you are the answer. You are the chosen people. We're gonna make a difference. And we say, nah, I believe it's the same thing today. Heaven is looking down at the pain and the torture of this generation. And he's looking for a people that he can use, no excuses, that he can use, go make a difference with. There are more people in America killing themselves than all other types of death combined. Hopelessness, depressions, anxieties. This world needs hope. This world needs the light. And God is looking down on heaven saying, I've seen the oppression. I've seen, and I'm choosing to use you to go make the difference. Amen. I thought about it like this. Bill Johnson says this in a really cool way. He says this, is the way that you're living worth Jesus dying for? So all that Jesus died on the cross for, all that he provided, all of the things that he can do, are we walking in a way that all of those are used to their fullest ability? Or are we keeping all of those benefits back? God isn't looking for ability, he's looking for availability. It's not about your ability and how much you can do and what you can, it's about being a willing vessel for God to use, no excuses. Amen.